KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. It's about, you know, who are you at 22? Where do you want us to take you? What kind of characteristics are you going to have when you walk in here and then when you walk out? That was very, very important to me, and that was something that I sold to the St. Joe's administration because I lived it. I know what it was. I know what it is, and I know what it can do for a player, and I knew what it can do for a program. And our guest this week, St. Joseph's University head women's basketball coach, Cindy Griffin. Coach, thanks for coming in. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, First of all, thanks for coming in as we're talking. It's mid-January. This is the grind for you, so appreciate you carving out some time uh, in the midst of the season. No problem. So what is this time of the season like? Now you're getting way steep in the conference. You're getting into kind of, I guess, the rhythm of of a season where the conference play, you can kind of count the days of what's going to be on Tuesday, what's going to be on Wednesday, what's going to be on Thursday. Does it make it a little easier that uh, there's a rhythm to the rest of the year? I think I think so. You know, this is the mid midpoint of the season. Um, we've been through non-conference, and now you're getting ready for conference. Our players actually go back to school today, so they'll be in a little bit more of a routine, if you will. Practice will be at the same time. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday. We play on Wednesdays and Saturdays or Wednesdays and Sundays. So, for that reason, I think it's pretty well structured, and I think it, it helps this time of year. So if I tell 18-year-old Cindy Griffin, who has just decided to go to St. Joseph's University, that in 2019 you will be in the midst of your 19th season as the head coach at St. Joe's, would you have believed it? No way. Absolutely not. <laughs> never. Never. Never in a million years. Was coaching always something on your radar, though, as you're playing basketball growing up? Well, I think being a former point guard I, and working a lot of camps in the summer was certainly something I think I was good at um, as far as teaching the game, but didn't know um, that I was going to make a career out of it. When did it start to? When did you start to make the decision that this is something I might want to make a career out of? Was it once the playing days are over, I need to stay in the game? Well, I think there was two options. One, you get your CPA and be an accountant, uh, which was what my uh, undergraduate degree was, and graduate degree was in uh, management. So it was either take that path or let me see what I can do in this game that has given me so much. How can I give back? And what, what am I going to enjoy the most? And so that took me to that path, and here I am today. So let's go back a little further. What is your first basketball memory growing up? When do you? When does it really kind of ingrain in your memory of when you uh, fell in love with the game? Well, I think it was third grade, and my sister was my coach. Uh, we played in the uh, Upper Dublin Junior um, Association for Township Ball, and uh, Kim was my coach, and she was my mentor. She was my uh, my role model growing up, and so uh, just being able to play and play for your sister and, and uh, be able to compete and being the youngest of five children. Uh, Kim was the oldest. I was the youngest. We had three boys in between, so basketball was part of our our upbringing. And um, so I remember that probably the most. When do you remember it being not just fun, but hey, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I'm getting picked first or second. I'm, I'm getting attention. I think eighth grade, you know, at, at the time when you had the CYO all-star game and it was down at the spectrum, if you remember that. Nice. Uh, being picked to be the all-star and, and being picked to, uh, to represent your region. I think that's when it became out. Oh, pretty real like okay i'm pretty good at this and you went to mcdevitt right i did yes so was saint joe's always a a radar did you was it a school you idolized at all or were you not familiar growing up what was your relationship with saint joe's you eventually ended up going there yeah i mean we have a long history at saint joe's um my first cousin john griffin uh, was the men's coach there um 
And we grew up watching John play at Roman. And um, he was the oldest of six children. I'm the youngest of five. Family's very close. And uh, that's where it began. We, we went over to watch John play. And then um, being from McDevitt, we had um, some of our players go on to play at St. Joe's, Missy Foy, Trish Brown. So growing up, we would go to our games. And then if the St. Joe women had a game, we would go get our hoagies, get in the car, and uh, go over to um, – to the field house and and watch the, uh, the the women play. Was there ever when you start looking at colleges? Was there ever any other school on the radar, or was it always going to be St. Joe's? No, it wasn't going to be St. Joe's actually because it was way too familiar. To be honest with you, um, you know, I think I was a kid that wanted to get away. Um, my top three choices were UConn, if you can believe that, UConn, Penn State, and St. Joe's. And um, UConn was just too far. It was too far away. Um, Penn State was certainly in the top two with uh, with St. Joe's, but at the end of the day, um, my comfort level was St. Joe's growing up in the area and uh, allowing my parents to see us to play, and I think that was really the first priority. Who was the coach at UConn? Was it was it Gino? It was. It was Gino. Because he's I, from around here. So. He is, and he coached my sister at, at McDevitt. He was the assistant coach under Jim Foster, um, who was the St. Joe coach at the time, so that familiarity with both coaches um, certainly steered me in the direction of, okay, I'm going to check out these two or three universities. So you go to St. Joe's, you're a point guard. Do you feel, was there additional pressure because you were so familiar with St. Joe's and everybody was going to be able to watch it and you knew all about it going there once you start to play, especially as a point guard that has a lot of responsibility? Uh, no, I think it was more, again, about a family and about comfort and knowing that you can play there and um, and have your own legacy there and being around people that support you and um, and have fun playing the game. And that's when you grow up in the Philadelphia Catholic League and you see a lot of the former players go there and um, have the success that they've had. It, it makes you want to be there even more. So you have a lot of success personally and team-wise during your time on Hawk Hill. Was there a transition for you just as far as a lot of times when you talk to people going high school to college, regardless of how good they are, it's an adjustment speed of the game, stuff like that. Did you feel that? Absolutely. I mean, I was a freshman playing behind a senior point guard, uh, Debbie Black, if you will. And Debbie had a great college career. She even had a better pro career um, being uh, playing for the Connecticut Sun and defensive player of the year and all those things. So, um so playing time was not something um, that I got freshman year, and it was a tough transition. And uh, then I ended up tearing my ACL at the end of the, my freshman year and redshirting the, 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 the next year. So um, really not the plan that you always think it's going to be or how it's supposed to be playing out. But, um, you know, perseverance and resilience and being around a supportive coaching staff and, and players, uh, teammates, um, was was instrumental in, in me being the, having the success that I had as a player. In retrospect, you mentioned the losing the season to the injury. Obviously, at 19, 20 years old, it's got to be incredibly frustrating. But did it help you? Because you sat, you watched the college game. Did it, did it give you a different perspective? No question. I mean, I think it gave you an opportunity, like you said, to sit and watch the game. And as a point guard, you think you know the game, right? Because you're... You're pretty much the quarterback out there. You're an extension of the coach, but really taking a step back and being able to see the game in a different way um, as a better teammate, as a better player, um, as a more coachable player, I think you really you really benefit from that. And so it's, it's really making it a, a tough situation into a great situation. So you end up playing a ton of basketball. I think, what was that incredible 
Malcolm Jenkins with the Eagles type number. You only didn't play like 19 minutes one season. That's remarkable. Do you realize something like that? Or you just, I'm just never coming off because this is what I want to do and I'm, and I'm good at it. Yeah, I never really thought about it. Um, you know, I think, you know, as a freshman, you're not playing. And now all of a sudden, as a, as a junior, you're playing every minute. Um, I just never really thought about it. It wasn't something that um, I really ever thought about. I never thought about, oh, I can't get in foul trouble, those type of things. I think you just, you just play and you, you, you play and you, you, you figure it out as you go. Um, but, you know, certainly needed to have the stamina to do it. So you need to be in pretty good shape and, and understand, um, you know, when, when to take your breaks and when not to. Is it something when you look back on it, are you like, wow, that's, that's impressive. And even as a coach, like when you know substitutions and what goes into to late game and stuff like that, I, don't, I just read that and that of all your accomplishments as a player, that just jumped off the, the page at me. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it, it um, you think everybody can do it, right? Because you did it. So why can't everybody play that many minutes? But it's not the case. And so understanding that as a coach that you know, when, who can and who can't and trying to get them breaks when, when needed. I think that's the biggest challenge as a, as a coach, because, um, you know, you want, you want your best player to be on the court for as many minutes as as she can be. Um, But, you know, based on the physicality of the game, based on different, different things that happen during the game, everybody's not equipped to do that. Why do you think you were a good point guard? Was it floor vision? Was it unselfishness? Is it a little bit of of everything? Because I think you're still fourth in program history in assists. And that's just not something that comes easy to a lot of basketball players because it's a sport that's driven by points. So what do you think made you such a good, not just player, but point guard specifically? Um, I, I think I did have great vision. I think I was able to see the floor and, and be able to give the ball to players in, in successful situations. Um, I also think I had great coaches. You know, I think from from grade school to high school to college, um, just understanding and having great players around you. I think that's that really makes everybody better when you have players that can complete the assist. You know, you see that you can get them in successful situations, but ultimately your teammates have to make the shot to get the assist. So um, I was fortunate that way, but. Definitely a pass-first point guard, um, and I enjoy that. I I, th- I got joy out of watching um, the assist turn into, or the pass turn into an assist. And kind of as an aside, you mentioned, like, we talk about playing all those minutes uh, that, well, why can't everybody do that? Is it tough when you transition from player to coach? Because stuff, I don't want to say come easy because I don't want to make it sound like you didn't work at it, but stuff that became natural to you, is it tough to adjust to maybe it doesn't come as natural to other players and that's that's something you've kind of got to learn as a coach that everybody has different skill sets and stuff like that yeah I mean I think definitely I mean I'm I'm in this game and I'm coaching this game because I have a passion for this game a lot of my teammates in college are not in the game so we're, we're all we all have different paths so we all love basketball but at what level do we love it is it going to be our career is it going to be uh just something that um you know we enjoy doing and we compete and all those things um, so I think understanding who you're coaching is is really really important because um, you know not not everybody lives, breathes, and eats the game. And balance is really really important. I'm really big on balance, you know, as far as um, other things in your life. So um, you know, I think it's important to understand where the players are coming from and you know what what they can and cannot, um, I guess, understand about themselves and, and the game. 
So as a player, I think it was three NCAA tournament appearances. How much fun was that to just be a part of and to have to get to that level of success? Well, it was great. And I think back then, I believe it was only 48 teams in the NCAA tournament. So a little school like St. Joe's, we had 2,500 undergraduate students at the time. Um, I think that was remarkable. You know, we were beating teams that we shouldn't beat. And and we've done that, um, you know, as as far as the, the time they're coaching here. But I I think that that was remarkable just to be able to put St. Joe's on the map from a national standpoint. Um, and the Atlantic 10 was uh, is strong now. And it was even even stronger with Penn State. And you had West Virginia had Rutgers in the league. So those were NCAA teams. And you had the opportunity to play them twice a year, which really helped. Any games, moments as a player stick out? If I ask you, let's talk about the 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 top, how many moments during your career? What's at the top of that list? Um, I think the top of the list is um, beating GW at GW. I think we were the sixth seed. They were the third seed. And um, I just remember um, I just remember that game, and, and Coach Foster was our coach. And, and um, it was a wild finish. I remember Dennis DeMeo was the, the referee. He recently uh, retired, Philly guy. Um, Joe McEwen was the coach, Philly guy from George Washington. And, uh, it was just, it went back and forth, back and forth. I think we squeaked it out by one and that's one of them. And then, uh, the Rutgers, I think the proceed, the next game was the Rutgers game and, and beating them on our home floor for the semifinal. So as you have all the success playing careers, winding down, how are you approaching the next step? Do you know at this point? All right, I, I want to coach. I want to stay close to home. What? How are you? And we talked about you had you could become a CPA stuff like that. Break it down for me as your senior year winds down. Yeah, so senior year, um, it was a matter of um, you know again two paths. Do I want to go into business, uh, the business world, sit behind a desk, you know, kind of push numbers, uh, which is a is a great living and it's a guaranteed living, mm-hmm. right? Or do I want to see where this my, where my contacts in basketball? can take me. I'm young. I haven't had a paycheck yet. So making $12,000 as a restricted earnings, earnings coach at Vanderbilt and SEC school, not so bad, right? Not so bad because any paycheck is a great paycheck coming out of college or yeah, coming out of college. So um, I said, why not? Let's do this and see where this takes, takes me. And um, you know, if, if it's not the path that, that, uh, that I want to take, then we'll get back to accounting. You can always, you can always get back into accounting. So, um, so that's where it took me. And then, being at Vandy for two years was great. Coach Foster was the coach at the time, so that was a nice um, connection there. And then from there, um, you know, do I want to be a full-time assistant? Do I want to uh, do all the things that uh, you do as far as recruiting and game prep and um, player development and all those things? And the answer was yes. And uh, was able to get hired by uh, Patty Coyle at Loyola. And she was an assistant at St. Joe's under um, Jim Foster. When I played, so there are a lot of connections. I've never worked for anybody that I haven't known, which is, which is pretty um, incredible. Right. And, I, and I don't know if I would have, you know, I don't know if it wasn't wasn't somebody that I knew and trusted. I don't know if I would have worked for them. So you start coaching. What is the biggest thing that you had to learn that maybe as a player you had no idea coaches had to deal with, or you didn't realize how big a deal it was? I think the game preparation. You know, as far as the scouting and and. Um, getting the scouting report and the, the, the amount of time that you spend watching film and breaking it down, not only your own team, but your opponent. And as an assistant, that's your job. You're in player development, you're scouting, and um, just the, the attention to detail. 
um, that that goes into one game. And um, it's a lot of work. It's it's probably about eight to ten hours of of prep um, just for the assistant coaches. You know, we as head coaches, we pick and choose. We'll watch two or three games. You know, if we if it's a common opponent, we'll watch our game from last year. Um, and then preparing our team for those practices leading up. So I, I don't think as a player you realize it. As a player, you get naps throughout the day. As a coach, you don't nap during the day. So I think that's a big change, you know, with the, with with being a player and uh, and a coach. So how do you learn that? Do the other assistants kind of walk you through, like, okay, this is your game. We this is what we need. X Y Z. Is it trial and error? How do you you know kind of come to to what is needed to do to have success? Well, I, again, I think I've been I've worked for some great people. You know, when I was at Vandy, I worked for Coach Foster, um, but I also worked for two fabulous assistants who would just brought their team to the Final Four um, that year. So it was Debbie um, Patterson and Cami Etheridge, and they were so great as far as attention to detail and kind of showing me what needs to be done. Again, I was the third assistant, the restricted earnings coach, if you will. So I scouted every game. Like I was, I was actually doing the scouting report as a. 22-year-old, which to me was absolutely ridiculous because it was an SEC school and here I am and Coach Ross would be like, well, what's the scouting report? And I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, so, but if I didn't have um, Debbie and Cami right there telling me what to do, then, you know, I wouldn't, I would have been even, you know, more um, confused. But they did a really good job mentoring me and saying, this is what we need you to do. Was there any moments in the early years, as you mentioned, 22-year-old doing all this, were there any moments of doubt like oh boy maybe that cpa is looking pretty good or even with all the work when it's i'm sure it's overwhelming you're like this is where i need to be well i think um ultimately i i wanted to have a family you know i wanted to get married have a family and um can you do that in this job you know can you have that balance in your life so that was always the question you know um can you do it? And so you you find women that are out there that are married and have children and that are doing it. And you say, okay, I can do this because she's doing it. And um, that was really, really important for me. And um, the fact that, you know, being able to do that, I have an incredible husband, incredible kids, and my mom and dad have supported us, you know, when they were living, my mom's still alive, but that, that support system, I have brothers in the area as well. So that really, really helps you balance yourself, but also you know, go ahead in your career and also, um, you know, ultimately have a family and do what you want to do. So I'm interested. You talk about when you're recruiting, UConn was too far away. And so you're at Vanderbilt. How are you doing socially? Or are you just trying to keep your head above water with the job that you don't really notice that you're really far from home? You know what, Matt, this is really embarrassing, but I really didn't even know where Vanderbilt was until I drove down there. I really, from a geographical, um, I was geographically ignorant. I really just didn't know, just growing up in Philly and just kind of being in this pocket, didn't realize where Tennessee was, Nashville was, you know, and Coach Frost was like, it's a city, you'll like it, you'll like it. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so, you know, drove down there and it was, it was in a city. So I knew that I could... Um, I could live there because coming from the Philly area, I knew if it was a secluded place, it was going to be really tough for me. Um, but was able to meet a lot of friends, young athletic department, former players that were, that were working in the athletic department, became friends with them. And, um, you know, socially, it was fun. It was a great, it's a great town. I think it's really up and coming. Mm -hmm. Now it's really, yeah. really popular. Back then it was getting more popular. So um, 
did just fine with balance down there for sure. So then you come to Loyola. When you come to Loyola, you've got the experience as a player. You've got the experience in the SEC. Now you're on staff at Loyola. Is this the time when you start to think, eh, maybe I'm getting close to being ready to pick up my own program, or are you not there yet? Well, um, going to Vanderbilt or going to Loyola, that was the next step is as far as being a full-time assistant and saying, okay, do you really want to do all this, right? Uh, when I was at Loyola, um, I had the opportunity to work for Patty Coyle, who is one of the best X's and O's coaches out there and went on to coach the New York Liberty for over 10 years. Um, but I knew Patty wasn't, um, you know, she was, she was anxious to move to the next level. You know, she, she played at Rutgers, won a national championship, um, coached at Rutgers, coached at St. Joe's, and then got her own program at Loyola. And then what was going to be the next step for her? Um, and that was one of the things that lured me to Loyola because Patty was like, listen, if you, you know, I'm going to eventually move on. So if this is something you want to do, you know, do a good job. Let's see, see where it takes you. And, um, and sure enough, you know, she got the, uh, New York Liberty assistant job. I believe it was, um, December of 98 Mm -hmm. and, uh, left in mid year. And so, you know, it was a matter of, okay, is the, is the AD Joe Boylan going to give me the keys to the car? Right. Um, as an interim or what have you. And so he did. And um forever grateful for Patty and for Joe for entrusting me in, in the program as such a young coach. And, and uh, again, you're being surrounded by people that support you. And uh, assistant coach Joe Logan was with me, and he's now the head coach at, at Loyola now. Um, and his wife, uh, who was a graduate assistant at the time, Susan Bryce, is now Susan Bryce Logan. So we were, um, you know, had our first road trip, first game, I guess it would be in Chicago, Loyola, Chicago, if you will, mm-hmm. we're Loyola, Maryland, and, um, you know, we're able to win two games on the road to, uh, to, to in our first debut, in my first debut, if you will, with UIC and uh, Loyola. So pretty, pretty awesome. So what are you, 29, 28 I am 28, 29, 28. I think I was 28. Okay. Yeah, 28. Does it... First head coaching job anywhere, does it help that it's in midseason and you don't have a bunch of time to think and you're just kind of, all right, I'm in charge, here's what the postgame meal is, and we're playing, and let's go? Or are you just swimming? I mean, you said you won the first couple games, but I mean, when the games are over and you're not, are you just swimming? Yeah, I think I probably lost about 15 pounds, (laughs) but it was... Business as usual. You know, I wasn't trying to change anything. You know, I wanted the kids to be comforted that, listen, you know, Patty's done a really good job. We've we've done a good job together. We're going to be great. We're going to continue to do what we're doing, not trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, just carry on business as usual. Um, and having those conversations with those players, I think, was very, very important. And, um, you know, they were sad that Patty left and didn't understand why in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they entrusted me and, and our staff and – um, you know, ended up having a nice year. Is there a moment after a week, a month, after the season that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a Division One head coach? Like, does it, do you have that moment of it all kind of sets in and is it overwhelming at all? Or do you never, it just feels right and you just roll? Yeah, I think if it feels right and you just roll. I don't, I don't know. I know at one point in time, I was probably um, one of the youngest. Division one yeah, I think coaches I have, at the when time. When you were hired, you were seventh youngest. Seventh yeah. youngest. So, 
like at the time, I don't think you think anything of it, but looking back and you say, oh man, okay, that was pretty cool, you know? Um, but um, again, I, I, I do believe that all the preparation that, um, that Patty and, um, you know, Joe Boylan, the AD at the time, and the faith that they had in me to, to run the program um, just gave me more confident that this was the right move and this is what we're doing. And, and I uh, felt very, very excited about it, but at the same time felt confident. Time to take a break here on one-on-one. We will have more with St. Joseph's University women's basketball coach Cindy Griffin right after this. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames. On air Saturday evenings at 9.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. And we are back with St. Joseph's University women's basketball coach Cindy Griffin on one-on-one. So you have success uh, basically three full years uh, at Loyola. I think you're, you're plus 15 win-loss. Uh, you, you win a lot of important games. How does the St. Joe's opening come to light? Is Do you get a call saying, we're interested? Does somebody tell you that this is going to happen? How's that come together? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I think there was... Um a lot of stuff going on at St. Joe's, you know, and um, it was definitely on the radar that this may open up and, um, you know, what direction is, is, uh, is the university going to go? You know, do they want a former player? Do they want um, an assistant at the time? Like I think now it's a head coaching job, but at the time there were assistants being interviewed and hired Mm -hmm. um, for these type of jobs. Right. Um, So, um, you know, I felt confident about it because I knew that um, I knew that I was the right person for the job based on, you know, my history and based on, um, you know, what we had done at Loyola and what I, what I think St. Joe's needed at the time. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you don't know which direction the AD and, and the board of directors are, and president are going at the time. So I'm just excited about the opportunity to interview and to to sell to sell myself back to St. Joe's and understand that this is Cindy the coach and not Cindy the player. And I think that's the important thing that, um, that as a young coach going into the business, that's what you have to sell yourself as, especially at your alma mater, because they have to understand that it's not Cindy the player. Even though there was Cindy the player, there was a lot of respect for captain for three years, all those things. But, you know, how's that going to translate to Cindy the coach? And, and especially during that time where it was a little bit uh, – you know, it was uneasy times at St. Joe's uh, based on the, uh, what, what had previously happened. So, um, you know, that was that was kind of, you know, how it was it played out and, and um, ended up getting the job and, and things worked out. So you say convince them that it's Cindy the coach and that's how did you what did you sell to say that I'm the right person and not just the player? Yeah. So being the right person at St. Joe's is somebody that understands that, um the Hulk will never die. You know, I think that's that's who we are. That's our mantra. Um, understanding that sometimes you do more with less. Sometimes you you don't. You're going to be doing. You're going to be selling players that um, that want to be not selling, but getting players that want to be in the gym, that want to work on their game, that want to be um, sort of like the underdog, if you will. Like you know, you may have not been recruited by Tennessee, Connecticut. Um, 
you know, whoever at, at the time, but you can come to St. Joe's and have that chip on your shoulder and prove, and let's beat those teams. You know, let's beat those teams together. Um, so I think that's, that was something that we were, that I was, that I was selling because I was that kid. You know, I turned down Penn State and I turned down Connecticut to come to St. Joe's. So, you know, and, and those are the type of players that, that I wanted to recruit. And um, also just having a pulse on the team at the time. And um, always a fan, you know, always watching to see, you know, what's going on and, and being familiar with the players in the program at the time. Because, you know, anytime there's a, <clears throat> there's a change in leadership, you want to have the players know and have the confidence in the person coming in that they're going to, A, take care of you, make sure you're, they're putting them in successful situations, and um, develop the whole player and the whole person. And it's not just about basketball. It's about balance, and it's about academics, and it's about, you know, who are you at 22, and where, where, do, you want, where do you want us to take you? Where, what kind of, um, you know, what, what kind of characteristics are you going to have when you walk in here and then when you walk out? And so that's, that was very, very important to me, and that was something that I sold to, to the St. Joe's administration because I lived it. I know what it was. I know what it is, and I know what it can do for a player, and I knew what it can do for a program. How important was the timing if the St. Joe's opening in this situation comes three years earlier and you're not a head coach? You've just gotten the assistant's job at Loyola. Uh, how important was that experience of running a program and having success at Loyola? Because this isn't just any job you're taking. This is your alma mater. This is, this is special. Mm-hmm. I think it was, yeah, three years prior, I would have never gotten the job. And I wouldn't have hired me either, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a it's it's a head coach's job. I think uh, when you at the time sometimes administrators want to hire assistants from bigger programs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine, but they're going to be gone in three or four years, and they're going to be going to the next thing. And it, it depends on what the administration wants. Do you want longevity? Do you want somebody that's going to be loyal to the players, to the program, to the university, um, or do you want somebody to just have a, a, a three year short stop and out of here? Who are we? And that's something that, um, you know, the administration decided that this is what we were going to do. And, and uh, I was the person and, and um, never looked back. Any, we talked about pressure earlier, any extra pressure because this is home. This is, and I have to do a good job because this is home. Sure. I mean, I think that's, that's, you, you've invested so much and um, you want to make sure that the players have the same experience that you've had when you were going through it. It wasn't always easy. It's not easy because if it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, you know, I think the challenge today is that everybody wants a quick fix. They want to fix things. They want to play right away. You know, as I mentioned to you, I didn't play my freshman year. Mm-hmm. I played behind Debbie Black, who was an unbelievable player. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Gatorade player of the year in Pennsylvania you know, all American. I don't play my freshman year. This in this day and age, that's people leave. You know, people want to. They want to. They want the quick fix and understanding. Like, you know, what is what is a program? You know, what what is the program? Well, if you're not there in the program long enough, you're not going to understand what the program it can do for you. Mm-hmm. So that's the big challenge I think for for today, um, and we need to adjust as coaches for sure. Does it? Are things going a million miles a minute? when you first settle in at St. Joe's or because of the experience at Loyola, are you feeling pretty just with dealing with everything? Does it, does, are you able to slide right in? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, anytime anything's new, I think you you, you got to get your your ducks in line. You got to get to the players. What do we have? What do we need? Um, and then your staff. You know, you have to look at your staff and say, okay, well, um, you know, I would like to bring my staff from Loyola with me, who at the time was one of the my staff members was Curry Home, and I was able to. Um, I was able to hire Kerry Nemeth Homan. She was at William and Mary. She was a former teammate of mine in coaching. Great fit. Come back to St. Joe's. Um, Joe Logan, who was an assistant at Loyola, who was going for the Loyola job when I departed. So I had to wait till that kind of played out. And then, um, you know, hired um, Lynn Milligan, who was at um, who was at Drexel at the time. And so, again, my staff had, it was very important that I hired people with a lot of experience because we needed, because we were, we were young, you know, we were young in, in, um, in that situation. Um, and then once that happened, we just kind of flew, you know, we just kind of said, okay, this is organization, recruiting, um, you know, academics, and you kind of you, you put everything in line and who are, what are our resources and what do we need to do and what do we need to fix and, and those type of things. So, Busy, and in the meantime, was engaged to be married. You know, married in that September, so mm-hmm. that was going on. So um, it is a blur when I look back, Matt. <laughs> I haven't really actually thought about it, but we did a lot in about six months. You know, we did a lot, um, but again, couldn't do it without the support of the staff and the administration. And I think I know the answer to this, but when you get this job, do you look at this as a situation where at the time you're like, if things go well. This is where I want to be. This, you talk about hiring assistants, three, four. This is what it's all about. This is the top of the mountain for me. Well, I, I think you you don't really know at the time. You know, you, you're like, okay, this is where I am. Be where your feet are, and um, and see where that takes you. You know, um, you know. Certainly, we've we've had a lot of um, like big shoes to fill. You know, as far as NCAA tournaments and getting there and and a ten championships and. Um, you know, we've, you always want more, you know, you always want more. Um, so I never really thought about moving on, you know, mm-hmm. to a different school. I just, I think the philosophy is be where your feet are. And if the opportunity presents itself and that's what you want at the time, then that's what you want at the time. But, you know, really, I haven't really thought about that too much. So let's, you do have success. I think it's six twenty one seasons, 11 postseason appearances, two NCAA tournament appearances, also three Big Five titles. How important is the Big Five to you in this day and age? Because I think for some people, I feel like there's almost a bit of a renaissance. There's almost kind of a return to how special and cool this is. How big is it for you? It's it's very big. I think it's a lot of um, pride. You know that we have some great players and great coaches in the Philadelphia Big Five, and I really do believe that it prepares all of us for the leagues that we compete in and represent, whether it be the Atlantic 10, the Ivy League, the Big East, the AAC. Um, they're, they're, they're very, very reputable conferences. And for us to beat up on each other, and you got to add, you know, the CAA in there also with Drexel. Um, we, you know, the fact that we, that we have that on our schedule every year and it's built in and they're top 100 RPIs every year. Um, that has been incredible because that only sets you up for success later on in the year. But during the time of the Big Five games, oh, you 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 respect every coach, but and you respect every player. But you know, at the end of the day, you want to you want to beat up on them, mm-hmm. right? You want you want to win those games, and um, 
you know, you want to have that pride with, with the players that are, are on the court and understand what it means to play in a big five, play in the big five, compete and win a championship. You know, I think that's, that's really, really important, even in this day and age. We talked about some of your favorite moments as a player. So I'll give you the same question to this point as a coach. If I ask you, let's rate some of the moments that are burned into your memory as the head coach of the St. Joseph's University Hawks. What's at the top of the list? Number one, 2013 A-10 championship. Um, I think the score was 47 to 46. We may have set basketball back 25 years. <laughs> um, but we were the first women's team to compete at the Barclay Center up in uh, up in New York. And um, win a championship on that court was unbelievable. Um, and then the second was um, the following year, getting the at-large bid and beating Georgia in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And then number three was beating George Washington in, uh, I believe it was uh, 08 in the, um, in the semifinal game. They were ranked number six in the country, and uh, beating them was, was sp- pretty special. So you are one of, what was it, uh, you're one of very few players that have competed in the NCAA tournament as a player and as a coach. One more satisfying than another, or are they different types of satisfaction getting to that level? Um, you know what, I think, you mean as a player and as a and coach? A, and as a coach. Yeah. I think as a player, you're kind of just like... You're, you, you don't really know what you're doing. Like, you're just kind of going through <laughs> it, and you don't really understand the impact of it um, until after. You know, I think you're, you enjoy it. You know, you're competing. You you're have great friends on the team. Um, you know, winning always helps, right? Um, but And then now when you come back and you, you reminisce with your teammates and you talk about these records and you look at the media guy and you say, wow, we were, we were pretty good. You know, but at the time you knew you were good, but you just didn't know like how good you were because you were you, you weren't really comparing yourself with everybody else. And now with the records, you do. And then as a coach, I think you understand a little bit more. You know, you understand it again, not maybe at the time all the time, but you understand what goal setting is and and what's what's right for this team and what's what's a home run for this team, what's a grand slam. You know, some teams have a lot of talent and they don't win very many games. Some teams have Less talent, they win more games. And some teams have talent and win games. And they're, they're, that's the fun. That's, that's when it's really, really fun. How would you describe your style? Say you were recruiting my daughter. What would you tell me about if they come to St. Joe's, this is what we're going to do? Yeah, if you come to St. Joe's, we're developing the whole person. You know, we're developing you on and off the court. Um, we want to play from a basketball standpoint. We want to play fast. We want to score in the first six seconds of the shot clock. If not, we're running offense. We're very balanced. We get balanced scoring from everyone. Um, we have um, situations where one game is going to, you know, if you're a point guard, you're going to get shots. You know, if you're a post player, you're going to get shots. If you're a shooter, you're going to get shots. So we're going to put you in the most successful situation to help us win games. How have you changed as a coach over your career? Let's say from the, the day you take over in mid-December at Loyola to now. What's the biggest change in your approach, your style, your way you deal with kids. How, what would you say it is? Yeah, I would say that um, experience definitely helps. You know, I think understanding where the player comes from. You know, I think understanding that um, this player may need this, this player may need that. 
Um, and it's not a one blanket thing for everybody. And um, to get your team to understand that is very, very important um, because, you know, you, you may need to, you know, from lifting weights to conditioning to shooting this amount to, um, you know, getting shots here. So everybody brings something different to the table and everybody has a role and how important that is to verbalize the role and also to help the player understand their role and to help them facilitate their role. I think that's the most important thing. Like it's not one blanket thing for everybody. On a scale of one to 10 with one being where women's basketball was say in the early seventies to 10 being where you think it should be. Where are we on the scale? I think we're about an eight, you know, we're about an eight. I think there's so there's much more work to be done as far as, um, you know, as far as putting people in the stands, marketing and growing the game that way and also giving back. You know, I think now um, the, the, the game is, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's all AAU basketball, but a lot has to do with the AAU basketball. So the grassroots program, we're trying to really, really um, dig deep into that and to get the coaches equipped to teach youth and to teach basketball and to get the skill level uh, where it needs to be to be able to compete. Uh, I think you see a lot of bigger, faster, stronger athletic players out there, but do we see more skill out there? And that's where I think we need to continue to grow the game. How about from a media standpoint? I'll give you the same scale. What would you say? Not just media, but as far as being on a level equal to men's basketball. Well, I'm going to plug you right here, Matt, because you've done an unbelievable <laughs> job. And really, you have done an unbelievable job with everybody here in the, in the Philadelphia area, um, Division One, Two, II, and Three, and giving us a voice on the radio, and I think that is tremendous. So I would say, Matt, Leon, a 10. <laughs> um, this is a tough one. I'm going to say a 6. Okay. I'm going to say a 6. Yeah, there's more to be done. There's more to be. There's more features like this to be done, uh, player features, and um, I really think we have some work to do. So, do you ever think, because I just fascinated, the UConn thing, I didn't know that. Do you ever think, what if? Because that was, when you're getting recruited to UConn, they weren't UConn yet. They were in the on the upswing, but do you ever think how the journey might be different if you'd gone there? Um, I wouldn't be the St. Joe coach. I can tell you that much. Um, so it would have been different. I don't know where it would have been. Um, I knew that, uh, you know, I do look back and say, oh, I, I would have went to the first final four with Connecticut, you know? Um, and, but I don't know if I would be where I am today. So, um, you know, you, you make the choices and, um, you know, I do believe that making the choice to, to, to go to St. Joe's and that's why I'm the head coach at St. Joe's today. Cindy Griffin, thanks so much for coming in. Matt, appreciate you. And that will do it for this week's show. One-on-one is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like the show and want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. You can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one-on-one pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Many thanks to Cindy Griffin, head women's basketball coach at St. Joseph's University for coming in today. You can follow Coach Griffin on Twitter at CindyGriffin11. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.